at a forum where we can think and pray and strategize and make decisions for the greater good of our community of churches. And so we pray that you will continue to lead and guide and direct us in our deliberations and in our decision making. We thank you also for the opportunity to begin our day by uh, interacting and learning from your word. And we pray, Lord, that you will bless this time, that you will speak into our hearts and our lives, and Lord, that you will build us up and prepare us for our service in this world. So 2 Timothy 2 from verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So far the reading, may God bless us as we meditate on these portions or passages of uh, verses of scripture. Uh, a while ago, my son showed me a video that he came across uh, on YouTube. You may have seen uh, the one. It's about a guy spruiking his um, online marketing package. And in the form of these videos, he was standing in front of a, uh, a supercar. I can't remember what kind of supercar, but, you know, a really, really flashy car. Uh, and the message was probably, you know, if you take up this program, then this could be yours as well. But he kind of, you know, upped the ante a little bit. He also wanted to show everybody all the books that he's been reading. So very incongruously, he had stacks of books in his garage next to his supercar, you know. So the message was kind of, I guess, you can have your toast away with, with your Tesla if you uh, follow this program. Admittedly, this is a bit of an extreme example, but this kind of idea is at the heart of modern marketing, isn't it? Or maybe even of ancient marketing, for that matter. Uh, join us, buy our product, uh, follow this program, and you too could be smart, happy, and successful. In other words, we are presented with the desired endpoint, you know, success, wealth, happiness. Uh, nobody comes along saying, this might make you miserable. Um, you know, who would market in this way? However, to a, a certain extent, that's part of what Paul is saying to Timothy here. <laughs> that in following Paul's teaching and Paul's method and pattern of ministry, um, everything is not going to be wealthy, happy, and successful. Uh, Paul is in prison, which means he is constrained in what he can do. He is suffering, and at the heart of his sufferings is the message 
that he is urging Timothy to take to the world. And so the subtext here very much is, Timothy, if you follow in my footsteps, you can expect more of the same. Uh, suffering, challenges, hard work will be yours. See to it, he says to Timothy, that you patiently endure the suffering that's coming your way. On the face of it, again, this does not seem like the most appealing marketing pitch that any of us have ever heard. However, once we understand how Paul motivates this call, it makes perfect sense. Maybe it would be good to just uh, briefly look at the context uh, of this uh, specific group of verses before we um, go into some of Paul's key arguments. Uh, you can see that Paul starts with the words, uh, you then. Um, so obviously there's going to be a, a contrast uh, here. In a nutshell, Paul profiled three people in the preceding verses towards the end of chapter one. Their names were Phygelus, Hermogenes, and Onesiphorus. Uh, these men went in very different directions. Uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes went their own way. In other words, they deserted Paul. They clearly believed that this was not the life for them. They left. Onesiphorus, on the other hand, refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, Paul says. So in a kind of really touching aside, Paul tells of how Onesiphorus uh, actually came to seek him out, then rest until he found where he was and was able then to minister to Paul. Um, in saying you then, Paul is essentially saying to Timothy, stick with me. Do not be like Phygelus and Hermogenes. Be like Onesiphorus. Be strong and specifically be strong in the grace of Christ. Not only that, but take others with you. This is not simply a project of personal advancement for Timothy. Uh, in verse 2, Paul says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what is in view here is a program of gospel advancements, advancement. Teach others who will in turn be able to teach others. There's a great principle here of successful gospel ministry. Reproducibility uh, in modern terms, going viral. Uh, ensuring, as far as we are possible, that it is shared far and wide. This is so much of a principle that we can even reduce it to a bit of a, a shorthand. I once met a Christian leader in, in Zambia, in Southern Africa, who said to me that he had a tutu ministry. And I was a little bit taken aback uh, because uh, although Archbishop Desmond Tutu has great admirable personal qualities, his theology was often very dodgy. Um, but in the end, it turns out this brother was not talking about Bishop Tutu. He was talking about this verse. Uh, he was a two Timothy, two two uh, minister. In other words, he saw this very much as a, a key to his own understanding of his uh, ministry. What he meant was that training up the next generation of leaders was a key focus for him in his ministry. He didn't want to only engage in ministry for himself, but he also wanted to make sure that others are grasping the truths of the gospel 
and he wanted to equip them to minister uh, wherever God placed them. This is something that should be at the heart of our ministries as well. And may I ask you to just reflect on how seriously you are taking this in the context where God has placed you. For the gospel to advance, we need more leaders, more workers, and Jack will say a few more things on these things, I'm sure, and you even have a little brochure on your table uh, dealing with this topic. It, it really should be at the heart of who we are as individual leaders and as a denomination. Um, so this is something that we cannot simply outsource. And I say this as the principal of a theological college. Training institutions like ours can support you, can come alongside you, can provide you with resources, but none of this takes away the responsibility of local churches and local church leaders to entrust gospel truth to others right where he placed us. For leaders to be consistency passing on the baton should be a key priority. I wish I could spend uh, more time dwelling on this issue. I'm obviously passionate about training, but there are other aspects of this text that I would like us to explore. For the moment, let me just remind you, remember to be a tutu, um, and in the, the best possible sense. Uh, verse 3 then starts with a direct exhortation to share in the suffering of Christ as a good soldier of Jesus. And then Paul goes almost bang, bang, bang with three of the most well-known images or metaphors for what it means to be a Christian in this world. We are soldiers, we are athletes, we are farmers. Um, and I'm sure if we you know, stop to just do a bit of Bible study, we can come up with many, many other instances uh, across the entire uh, span of Scripture where these images are being used to illustrate some aspect of what it means to be a believer. For our purposes here, um, I want us to kind of zone in on what these images mean, and that, that, that's, I think, the emphasis that Paul clearly strikes here, what these Im images mean for the call to suffer for the Lord Jesus. Let's start with soldiers. Bear your part, uh, Paul says, as a soldier of Christ. Um, what does this mean in terms of what he's calling Timothy to do? Well, there are many things clamoring for the ultimate loyalty of a Christian, even some really, really good things. But Paul's main point, I believe, in the soldier metaphor here is that we need to remember where our ultimate loyalties should be directed. Paul says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The clear exhortation here there is, therefore is to remember that we are in the service of Christ and that we should take our marching orders from him. Would those orders sometimes be difficult to execute? Will they sometimes lead to suffering? The answer is obviously yes, but we should remember under whose command we have been placed. So that's the first, uh, first image. The second one is that of the athlete. And I believe the main application here is discipline and discipline specifically to play by the rules. When we suffer and struggle, it can be very tempting to bend the rules a little bit, to take shortcuts, to perhaps uh, do ministries 
uh, ministry in ways that are more pragmatic than biblically informed. If we do that, we would perhaps be like a, a netballer whose team is trailing, who decides to you know, wipe out the deficit by suddenly playing basketball for a bit and taking a shot from the middle of the court. Not allowed under the rules of netball, in case you didn't know that. Um, so all that this will gain her will be a bunch of incredulous looks from her teammates and, of course, a penalty from the referee. If you want to win in any game, you have to play by the rules. And in this case, it means play by or work in accordance with God's clear instructions and teaching. This is why Paul says in another context, in 2 Corinthians 4, 2, we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So, main application here is that of discipline, ensuring that when we engage in ministry, we do so in God's way, in the way that he clearly showed us. And then the uh, third image here is that of a farmer. And I believe the main application here, um, and that's again in Paul's own words, is in hard work. You can imagine a farmer uh, at the beginning of the season looking over a field, um, asking the question, what would it take to get a harvest from this field? Now, you know, there could be many, many possible answers, but at the heart of all those answers are a lot of hard work over a long time. Uh, that's, you know, at the absolute core of what will be required to raise a harvest. Sure, some better and scientific farming methods will help, but the bedrock will be hard work at the times when it will be needed the most. This aspect of farming is not spectacular, but it is absolutely essential. It's really what feeds us all. Um, we, we need farmers to work hard. In the same way, we can perhaps ask the question, looking at wherever it is that God called us, what will it take to gain a gospel harvest in this area? The first part of the question has to be hard work over a long time. Um, surely, we can strategize and plan and make sure that we use the best tools for evangelism, discipleship, and ministry. In fact, I believe finding these tools is part of the work that we need to do. But still, we need to remind ourselves that this is a task that will demand us from us that we put in the hours. So if we are finding gospel ministry to be hard work, it is likely not because we're doing it wrong, but simply because this is what is required. Now there's a caveat here, of course, and that is that our hard work does not mean working ourselves to death or harming those closest to us by being unavailable to them. It does mean, however, that we should seek to give our utmost for the sake of bringing in the harvest, and that certainly means putting in the hard work. So if I can summarize this section, the three images that Paul shares with us, Paul calls on Timothy to share in suffering by being loyal like a soldier, understanding under whose command we are working, disciplined like an athlete, doing this work in accordance with God's clear instructions, and being hardworking like 
a farmer. So loyalty, discipline, and hard work at the heart of our calling to share in the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this again leaves the obvious question, why? Why would anyone want to embrace a life of suffering? What is appealing about a prison cell and constant opposition? What is appealing about the kind of hard work, discipline, and loyalty that Paul speaks about here? In terms of my illustration at the beginning, why not go for the life of luxury and the supercar? Paul has some very, very good reasons. Uh, but before I share them with you, it might be good to just very briefly speak about a less good reason to pursue suffering. Um, and that is the fact that suffering can sometimes be used to garner sympathy and admiration. You know, look how hard this person is working. Look how, you know, much he or she is suffering. And, you know, um, let's put him or her on a pedestal. You know, that, that's, that's really, really um, admirable. And sometimes we can even actively seek this out. In a previous life, I uh, ran a few marathons. And the conversations uh, on the way back after the marathon was, was always fascinating. Most of it inevitably focused on how tough and horrible the experience was. You know, one would say, oh, I threw up at kilometer 32. And another one said, oh, no, that's nothing. I had a cramp and I had to crawl for, you know, whatever distance. If you followed up on these comments with a statement like, okay, so that means you'll never do it again, um, you know, you'll be met with just horror. No, of course I'll do it again. Uh, you know, because being able to present my suffering like this is kind of part of the experience, you know. Um, I get a few kudos um, because I've, I've gone through it all and I've lost a few toenails and so on, you know, it's just wonderful in that sense. Um, that is certainly not what Paul has in mind here. We, we are not called to, to suffer so that we can go to the world and say, poor me, you know, admire me for the, the effort and the suffering that I put in. Instead, Paul gives some very, very good, less self-centered reasons to embrace suffering. Firstly, Paul does mention reward. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, in the uh, section on the farmer, he does speak about the fact that, um, that the farmer should be the first to share in the reward, the hardworking farmer. It's clear, however, here that the reward is tied with the harvest uh, and will therefore be due when the harvest comes in. Um, in other words, the reward will, in that sense, be uh, deferred. That doesn't mean that there are not lots of rewards on this side of eternity and that ministry can be fulfilling and so on, but... Um, it is not seen, you know, as payment for services in the here and now, uh, as it were. It's not presented, therefore, I believe, as the fundamental uh, motivation. Instead, towards the end of this passage, uh, Paul presents us with his two main motivations. Verse 8. Firstly, it is to focus on Jesus and to remember Christ's sufferings on our behalf. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. By looking to Jesus, we can be astounded at the grace that he poured into our lives and yet at the incredible cost associated with that. We then recognize that no sacrifice that we can make in order for others to hear his message can be too great. 
That is why the author of the Hebrews exhorts his readers to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising his, it, 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 the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, we are not called, of course, to suffer in the same way that Christ suffered. That would be impossible. Um, his ministry was utterly, utterly unique as the Son of God. But we are called to take inspiration from the fact that Jesus did everything that he could for our sake, including suffering terribly and understanding that in a real sense, we are called to imitate as much as possible him in this, following uh, in the footsteps of our Savior. And then the, the second motivation here is that we should embrace suffering for the sake of the elect. Um, Paul goes on to say, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. In some mysterious way, God uses the labors and the sufferings of his people to work out his purposes, to call people to himself, uh, to bring them to Christ Jesus in eternal glory. Now, sufferings for the sake of the gospel is therefore not only an expression of love and devotion to Christ, it is also a declaration of love towards those in the communities in which we serve. In this sense, suffering for the gospel can be seen as the fullest expression of loving our neighbors as ourselves, because what they ultimately need, you know, beyond all their physical, emotional, and other needs, is to be reconciled with their creator and is to uh, share in the salvation that he brings them. So to summarize, I don't have to tell you that ministry will sometimes be very, very challenging, and Paul is not sugarcoating that fact here. On the contrary, in the midst of all of this, we are called to be loyal like soldiers, disciplined like athletes, and hardworking like farmers. And if that's not enough, we're also called to pass this on, to train others, to follow in our footsteps. In doing so, we express a deep love for our fellow human beings, and we draw inspiration from the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Christians do this, in other words, embrace suffering for the sake of the gospel, the Lord can literally change the world through their sacrificial actions uh, and their service. Allow me to share with you, in closing, just a profound spiritual turnaround that happened in the life of a German nobleman by the name of Nicholas von Zinzendorf, who lived from 1700 to 1760. Zinzendorf would go on to lead the first large-scale large Protestant missions effort after the Reformation, a movement known as the Moravians. And interestingly, uh, Zinzendorf's call to mission, as it were, uh, happened while meditating on the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this led to a formulation of a question in his own mind. If Christ suffered this much for me, what will I do? for him. And for Zizendorf, the answer was to establish the Moravian mission order and to send some of the very first Protestant missionaries uh, all around the world. Obviously, the answer to this question was not meant as a means to gain salvation. Zizendorf felt secure or was secure in his salvation, but rather as an expression 
for him to serve the suffering servant to the utmost. So again, for Zinzendorf, the answer to the question was to launch a missions movement. May I ask you what the answer to this question will be for you? It may not be as spectacular as the answer that Zinzendorf came to, but let us commit to embrace doing our utmost for the sake of him who laid down his life for us and to do our utmost, as Paul also calls upon us to do, for the elect, for those whom we are called to serve by sharing the gospel with them. These are hard truths to hear because it does not call us to a life of ease and luxury, on the contrary, but it is at the heart of the call to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, as expressed here in this text. May God give us the strength and the courage to embrace the gospel in such a way that it will go out from us in truth and in power, even if that requires hard work and suffering. Let's pray together. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We uh, thank you for these reflections by the Apostle Paul and what it means to suffer for the gospel. And we thank you that uh, from Timothy onward, all throughout the history of the church, so many people have embraced this message and have served and loved you sacrificially wherever you place them. It is difficult for us to hear these words, Lord, because it calls us out of our comfort zones. But we pray that you will enable us to hear and to heed and to, in our personal lives and in our ministries and our churches, serve you in such a way that we will uh, call people powerfully to consider the truths of the gospel and to also share in the suffering uh, that is part and parcel of ministering this gospel in the world. Lord, we are very conscious that we are not able to do these things on our own, that in our own strength, we would rather shy away from hard work and suffering. We thank you for the enabling power of your spirit to help us to do these things. And we pray that you will indeed help us to do so. We pray for today, Lord. We pray that you will bless us in all our deliberations. We pray for the conversation uh, or discussion later on on children, children at the Lord's Supper and some of the, the other uh, difficult issues that we need to uh, work through today. We pray that you will give us a lot of wisdom, that we will... Uh, seek to really hear one another uh, and Lord that in the end you'll enable us to make wise decisions directed by your word and your spirit. We thank you Lord if we can pray these things in Jesus name. Amen.